This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Hey, good morning. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey. And let me just say, I am thrilled that you are here with us this morning, uh, enjoying this day. And um, we want to say real quickly, welcome. Uh, Welcome especially to you if you are new. And I want to encourage everybody to reach into the seat back in front of them and to pull out one of these Connect cards. Uh, Connect Card's a great way for you to kind of let us know who you are, Uh, whether you are new or you've been around many times before. uh, We would love to have one of these from every family here today. Uh, If you uh, would put your name and address in your new, we would love to just send you something in the mail this week as a simple thank you uh, for being here, for being brave and kind of navigating a new Place. And so with that, uh, you could uh, fill that out and you could drop it in the offering bags at the end of our time together. Or if those miss you, no worries, you can drop it in uh, one of the baskets at the exit of this room or uh, the main doors. Okay, with that shared, uh, last week we got started on a brand new series entitled When Necessary. And it comes from this kind of famous phrase that Christians have repeated for a long, long time that says, preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. It's a phrase that's meant to remind us that God places a call on every single one of us, on all of us to share who he is to share what he has done for our life, to share what he could do in somebody's life. That's the call God places on everyone who crosses the line of faith and says, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Uh, that phrase, it reminds us to, that we use our relationships to build. We build relationships. We use the relationships that we have to expand God's kingdom, to expand what he is doing in our world. Last week, we got off to a great start talking about seeing the way that Jesus saw. And if you'll remember, we noted that Jesus didn't just see the outside of someone, that he saw deep within them, that he saw their motivations, their heart, that he saw their hopes, their dreams. He saw who they could be. He saw who they could be if they just uh, put their life and their trust in him. They saw, he saw who they could be if they just experienced God's freedom. It came from his grace and his mercy. We looked at the end of Matthew chapter 9 last week. Where Jesus comes into a village and he heals and he teaches like he had so many times before. And a great crowd had gathered around. In Matthew chapter 9, it says that he paused. Kind of right in the middle of what he was doing, the healing, the teaching, he stopped and he looked out at the crowd. And it says, his heart broke. His heart broke for the people that he saw. He was filled with compassion. Because he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
They're hungry spiritually and physically. They're, they're, they're lost. They're uh, their need of healing, in need of healing and direction. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, quick, quick, go and pray. Pray to God that he would send workers into the field because the harvest is plentiful. It's ready, but the workers are few. And just a couple verses later, Jesus sends out his disciples, those very disciples, to share God's mercy and new life. And as we looked at this story last week, we said it all started with Jesus' eyes. It starts with our eyes. It starts uh, seeing like Jesus saw. Seeing the person in the cubicle next to us that maybe gets on our nerves a little bit. Seeing maybe the loud neighbor, the classmate, the family member, the one who looks different than us. Seeing them the way Jesus sees. Remembering that he sees differently than we do so often. We have to train our eyes not to see people like we have seen them a hundred times before, but to see them with new eyes, Jesus' eyes full of compassion, full of hope for what God could do in them. This seeing like Jesus is so important. Because when our eyes are filled with compassion rather than complacency, it makes doing what Jesus said so much easier. It makes um, forgiving those who have hurt us, but God still loves seeing them with the eyes that Jesus has, makes it so much easier. It makes it easier for us to love sacrificially the way that Jesus calls us to. It makes it easier for us to speak words of kindness and grace when that's not our first reaction. Finally, it makes all the difference when it comes to sharing the difference that God can make in someone's life when we see them how Jesus sees them. All of that starts with how we see. Our capacity. Our capacity to fill the Great Commission, which is what we started this series with, what we started with last week, to make disciples of every nation is decided long before we shake a hand or open our mouth. It's decided with how we see people and what that stirs inside of us. Well, that was last week, how we see people. And I'm going to take a moment, pray for us, and then we're going to jump into our topic this week. Dear God, we thank you for your presence that has been here as we have sung of your glory, your goodness, 
God, we ask that here in this moment that you move and work in our hearts, our lives, that you make us open to what you want us to learn today. Because God, we believe you truly do have something to teach every single one of us. In your name, amen. Okay, so we learned that it all starts with seeing like Jesus saw, but Jesus doesn't stop just with seeing people differently. How he sees them puts him into action. In other words, he builds a relationship. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We started this series, and this series really has two objectives each week that we want to make sure that we are making clear for us. The first is that we all understand that Jesus places, places a call on all of our lives to share him with the people in our lives. That that's not something we get to pass off onto the pastor. It's not something we get to pass off onto somebody who we deem more spiritual than us. That Jesus puts that call on each of us. We're going to make sure that's crystal clear every week. And the second thing is we simply want to learn from the master. We want to learn how to share God with people from Jesus' life. And with that, Jesus was asked by an expert in the law. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, he was asked what the greatest of all commands were. This is Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, if you're following along. And Jesus is asked again, is it what, of all the things that are in Scripture, if you could summarize it, if you could put it into just a couple of words, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What if this wasn't just the great commandment, the greatest commandment in Scripture, but what if this was Jesus' actual plan? Jesus' actual plan to change the world. To change the world through people like you and me. So many times in life, in Scripture, we have a tendency to complicate things. To make them harder than they really are. I think this is one of those. What if God's plan for the redemption of the world could be summed up with just those two phrases? To love God. To make him the center. To, to run of him with our whole heart because we can't give what we don't have. We have to first be an example of loving God. Then Loving our neighbor, showing the people right next to us, showing the people in arm's length of us the love of God. 
This week as I was preparing, I was reading a book on this topic, and it thought that this was really Jesus' specific plan, specific plan, and it identified kind of one glaring problem that we have in living out this plan. It said we generalize. We generalize what Jesus meant to be specific. We say, everybody's our neighbor. And when we say everyone is our neighbor, in one sense it's true, but it also becomes an excuse so often. It becomes an excuse to avoid the direct and powerful implications of Jesus' great commandment with the people right directly in our lives, our literal neighbors. When we generalize our definition of a neighbor, we have a way of keeping people at arm's length. We say our neighbor is the guy across town, it's the homeless person that we drive by on our way to work, and we help them by giving some money to an organization that then goes and helps them. And that's good, but it's no substitute. It's no substitute for loving those who are literally next door to us. The problem when we say everyone is our neighbor is the problem we so often have when we generalize things. We aim for everything and we hit nothing. And so in a great irony, saying we love everyone often becomes this excuse for us. This excuse for us to avoid those who God has placed directly in our lives. Jesus had another interaction with an expert in the scriptures, an expert in the Bible that I think can be helpful here. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. It says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns the question around on him and he says, "Uh, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, this is the expert in the law, answered, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you you got it. You, You answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And then he asked another question. He said, so who is my neighbor? I think it's really interesting that this expert in the law, that he got the answer right, he had the right answer, but if we look at Jesus' response, he has the wrong heart. So many times I think that's our problem too. Verse 29 says he wanted to just justify himself. 
In other words, as long as he could decide who his neighbor was, he would be okay. He was looking for a loophole. And Jesus responds to his question with another story that reminds us that we don't get to decide who our neighbor is. We don't get to decide who we love. And not only that, but that our love is lived out in action. And the hard work of building relationships. Continuing on in Luke chapter 10, this is verses 30 through 37. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of some robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he went around and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine on them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn and he took care of him there. And the next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, Look after him and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Then Jesus said, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus' answer is clear. The neighbor is the Samaritan. The neighbor is the one who stopped in the midst of his busyness, who was inconvenienced, who took time out of his schedule, the one who listened to what his pains were, one who cared for him, The Samaritan was the man's neighbor because of how he acted. I love Jesus' last words there. Go and do likewise. Those are the same words Jesus says to our loopholes, to our excuses when we try and rationalize away our disobedience because of our busyness, because we claim not to know the needs, because we claim that we'll get to it someday soon, Jesus says to us, go 
and do likewise. In essence, Jesus says, be inconvenienced. Make the time. Build a relationship with a neighbor that is strong enough that you might actually be able to show God's love to them in some tangible way. The book I've been reading for the series, The Art of Neighboring, says, we have one thing that keeps us from Jesus' words to go and do likewise. It says we don't even know most of our neighbor's names. And how are we supposed to love them like Jesus loved them? To tell them about God when we can't even call them by name. To test this, the author asks you to kind of take a test. It's got a kind of a grid in eight squares there with your house, nine squares, I'm sorry, with your house right in the middle. If you look in your program, the, the test is there. It says this. You kind of look at each of the squares as a neighbor, someone who lives around you in some way, and ask three questions. Can you write their names? Maybe your house isn't uh, situated on a checkerboard. It's okay. Can you just pick the eight closest people, eight closest houses? Can you write their names? Then line two. Can you give some general detail about them? Uh, Not like I observe they uh, don't mow their lawn very often or... Or they drive this kind of car. But some kind of detail that you picked up in some small conversation. Then lastly, can you write something deeper? Something that represented some kind of real conversation where a hope was named, a dream was mentioned where some kind of pain point came out, something that you walked away and said, you know what, I may need to pray for this person and what's going on. I want to encourage you just to, to try that. I'll be honest, I'll say, I didn't do very well. I did just move, but I still could do a lot better. See, I couldn't even say it without making enough excuse. I failed miserably. (laughs) The author says this, that he's done this in countless churches and organizations, and he's kind of compiled a general census in a room. He says about 10% of people can name all eight neighbors. 3% can give some kind of general detail about the eight. 1%. 1% can name something deeper. If Jesus has a simple plan to change the world by challenging 
his disciples, the people who claim to be following him by, by two things, by having him be the center of their life, by loving God, by loving their neighbors. And only 10% of us know our neighbors' names. Only 1% of us know something deep enough that we could actually have a spiritual conversation with our neighbors. Do you see how that's a problem? Friends, the challenge I want to put before you, correct that, the challenge that Jesus gives us is to build some relationships. To build some relationships with the people who live next to us. Maybe for you, that, for you that means a cubicle next to you. Maybe it means a family member. But certainly don't neglect the people who literally live next door. Look at your neighborhood with Jesus' eyes. See your neighbors with compassion. Get to know them. Find out their names, their hopes, their dreams. Find out a way you can pray for them. Find a way you can practically share God's love with them. Look for opportunities to have a spiritual conversation because of the relationship you've built. Because just maybe, when Jesus said the great commandment, to sum it all up for you, is to love God and to love your neighbor. Maybe he meant it. As we think about what to do with this, how to apply it. In other words, what's God saying to me and what am I going to do with that? I hope God has said some really clear things this morning. I hope that you clearly heard uh, Jesus say that evangelism, sharing our faith done best in the context of a relationship. Knowing someone's name, listening long enough, taking time out of our schedule, out of our agenda to understand what's going on in their life. Jesus is pretty clear. We all have neighbors we all have neighbors and we should start there. So then what are we going to do about that this week? My first challenge to you would be to simply come back. As we continue to dive into this very important topic of sharing our faith, my challenge is that you come back. And you continue to explore and dig with us. 
My second challenge is that you take that uh, insert, that test. Maybe you're one of the few that passed it with flying colors. You can teach next week. But I don't want you to, to look at that piece of paper and maybe some of the blanks and just feel defeated. I want you to take that and, and think about it as an assignment, as take-home, homework. Not something to be done this week, right? Don't go to your neighbor and say, hey, my pastor says you have to tell me something deep about yourself. So i got line number three. Not that. But take it as an assignment for the year. Can I get this filled out this year? Can I know my neighbor's names? Can I know just what's going on in their life? Can I maybe get to something deep with each one of them? Something that I could pray about? Something that maybe I could help with in a specific way? Can that all lead to a spiritual conversation? God's calling me to have with them. So take that piece of paper, not as kind of a test that you took once and you didn't do well on. Take it as a challenge to take home and to fill out this year. Finally, if you, you don't know anything else to do, that feels way too overwhelming. You don't know, even know how to start with that. Start here. Take a walk tonight. Take a walk tonight through your neighborhood, and as you pass a house, if you know the name, pray for them. Call them out by name. If you don't, just ask God to bless that house. Ask God to work in that kind of relationship to open up some opportunities so that you might get to know them. You might get to love them. You might get to share Jesus with them in some tangible way that you might even get to have some kind of spiritual conversation with them someday. I hope that you take those challenges this week. Because if we do that, I believe that God will bless you. Because he says... Go and do likewise. If you want to know what the, the big commandment is, where you want to get it all summed down to its most basic parts, love God, love your neighbors. It's simple. It's so simple, it just might work. Let me pray for us. Dear God, we want to say thank you for simple words to simple people. God, so many times we take a topic like sharing our faith, we take a topic and we overcomplicate it, we, we put all these conditions on it, we try and jam it into our schedule somewhere and we get overwhelmed and we just say, later. My prayer for the people in this room. Is that the, that's the one answer nobody gives. If somebody says, you know what, I, I just can't do it. I'm not there. Okay. But God, my prayer is that you stir in every one of us to 
take some step of action this week. Some step of action that says, you know what? There are neighbors in my life who I don't even know their names. Or maybe there's a neighbor who I can, I can call them by name. I know what uh, their dog's name is, but I don't know what's really going on inside. And that has a lot less to do with them being shy than it does with me being available to have a conversation. God, my prayer is you open up doors all throughout neighborhoods, all through our hearts this week. As we build relationships, build relationships with people you put in our lives. neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. Open up those doors, God, and help us to see them and walk through. In your name we pray. Amen.